Pilot John Curtis cracked open the cockpit's side window. Are we lost yet, Ross? McKinnon pointed east toward Japan. That's the way home, I think. The captain wants to turn over the props. Technically, McKinnon knew, the propellers didn't have to be turned over unless they'd been standing for two hours or more. Are you asking for a volunteer? McKinnon said. You're already wet. McKinnon zipped up his fly and went to work. Ashton and the other waste gunner, Jim Parrish, joined him so that nobody had to get too wet. When Curtis gave him a thumbs-up signal, McKinnon climbed back inside the B-17, settled into his seat, and turned to a fresh page in his diary. My dearest Lael, I'm writing to you from on board my plane while we're waiting to take off on a special mission. They've promised us leave when we're done. If all goes well, I'll be able to deliver this letter in person, my love. I'll be able to hold you in my arms again. Sometimes I wake up at night and think I smell your perfume. But when I open my eyes, all I smell is mildew and old tent canvas. He paused, thinking about the censors and wondering if he should write anything personal, especially since their mission was so secret. Finally, he shook his head and went back to the letter. We've renamed our ship. Our sexy pinup has been replaced by a scorpion. It wasn't our idea, it was orders, but. I'm not supposed to write about that. Anyway, we've now got a mean-looking scorpion painted on the nose. It's bright yellow with red eyes. If the Japs ever get close enough to us to see it, it ought to scare the you-know-what out of them. Atwood came on the interphone. We're picking up war news from the tower. The pilot switched the shortwave broadcast to the B-17's internal radio system. In Europe... U.S. and British forces have advanced three miles along the Germans' northern flank in Belgium. Our casualties have been light, while enemies' losses have been described as extremely heavy. Shit, Kelly cut in. Get to the important news, will ya? Are we clobbering the Japs or not? I don't want to have to come all the way back here after we get home. The radio announcer continued. In the Pacific, our carrier-based planes attacked in Formosa, sinking 25 Japanese ships and destroying 111 enemy aircraft. That's more like it, Kelly whooped. Sergeant Decker's voice broke in. Captain, submarine surfacing now. I see it. Atwood began his startup procedures, switching off the turbo controls, opening the fuel shutoff valves, and cracking the throttles while his co-pilot, John Curtis, checked hydraulic pressure, cowl flaps, intercooler, and fire extinguisher controls. Finally, one by one, the 1,200-horsepower Curtis Wright engines roared to life. They're coming ashore in a rubber boat, Decker said on the interphone. Atwood scanned the gauges again and looked at his co-pilot, who nodded that everything was okay. They're on the beach, Captain. One of them looks like a goddamn general. That's probably our passenger, the pilot said. Remember security, nothing specific, not even on the interphone. 
Nobody said anything about generals. I have him in sight now, the pilot said. You can stow your binoculars, Decker, and stand by for takeoff. Ashton, you and Parrish see to our passenger when he comes aboard. Yes, sir, said the waste gunner. Sir, Decker said, now that he's closer, I think he's an admiral. What would you expect from a submarine? The moment the fuselage door closed, the B-17 began rolling down the tarmac. Its bright, freshly painted nose art, an attacking scorpion, gleamed in the prop wash. Thirteen hundred miles later, the scorpion put down at Hickam Field in Honolulu, taxiing to the end of an auxiliary runway that had been sealed off in advance by military policemen. A ground crew was waiting with a fuel truck and immediately began topping off the B-17's fuel tanks. Atwood spoke to the...